Pushkin. Where do you see your career in 10 years? What are you doing now to help you get there? The sooner you start enhancing your skills, the sooner you'll be ready. That's why AARP has reskilling courses in a variety of categories like marketing and management to help your income live as long as you do. That's right. AARP has a bevy of free skill-building courses for you to choose from because the steps you choose to take today will help you love what you do in the future. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org skills. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G-connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is accelerating innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at tmobile.com slash now. Upswell Marketing would like to remind you that when customers choose your small business, they're really choosing you. So focus on super serving your existing customers and let Upswell handle the pipeline generation of new leads and customers. Upswell specializes in developing customized direct response campaigns and is now offering a no obligation free assessment of your current marketing strategies. Not to mention new customers also receive 15% off their first order when they mention that they heard about Upswell on this podcast. For more information, visit upswellmarketing.com. That's Upswell marketing.com. In the first years of this century, there was a wave of technological innovation in the way people get oil and gas out of the ground. It was popularly referred to as fracking, but in fact, fracking had been around for a long time. What was going on was a combination of techniques that people in the industry called the shale revolution. This boom brought down the price of natural gas and it turned the United States into the world's biggest producer of oil and gas. It also, arguably, extended human beings' ability to live in a fossil fuel-powered world, slowed the transition to carbon-free energy, and so made climate change worse. But what if you could take the technological innovations of the shale revolution and use them to generate a different kind of energy? Energy that's carbon-free. Energy that helps get the world off of fossil fuels. I'm Jacob Goldstein, and this is What's Your Problem? The show where I talk to people who are trying to make technological progress. My guest today is Tim Latimer. He's the co-founder and CEO of Fervo Energy. Tim's problem is this. How do you use innovations from the oil and gas industry to generate carbon-free energy? Tim told me he started his career deep in the heart of the shale revolution. Um, I, you know, grew up in Texas, and then I went to college at the University of Tulsa, um, both places where, you know, sort of the oil and gas industries and in the blood of the people uh, here. And uh, I happened to graduate at the very advent of the U.S. oil and gas shale boom. And I think probably almost everybody I knew went into the oil and gas industry out of my college class as, a, as kind of a consequence of it being a, a boom time in Oklahoma. And so I, I took a job back in what was my original hometown of Houston, started my career as a drilling engineer. And in that role, I 
um, mostly worked out on the rigs themselves as a site supervisor. So I've spent the majority of my time in the oil field, either in South Texas or West Texas, um, supervising field, field crews. So what was the turn? Why aren't you still doing that? You know, it's, it's interesting. Even when I joined the industry, already had some questions about, you know, what is the future in this industry in a world where we all know that climate change is a much more serious and urgent problem than we had previously understood. And so what I found is that the more time I spent in the industry, the more passionate I was about climate change and the less I was seeing the industry adapt uh, around me the way I thought was necessary to face the urgent crisis of climate. So what's the move? What do you do? Well, I was looking at clean energy and I thought, what what can I do? And so when I looked at solar or wind or automotive, I thought, you know, in electric vehicles, I thought these are all important things, but what do I have to add there? Uh, and so I was always kind of looking for my, for my move. And then actually an early project I worked on when I was a drilling engineer in South Texas, the wells we were drilling are actually a little bit higher temperature than normal oil and gas wells. And so one of my first jobs was, hey, research how we can make high temperature drilling work. Uh, and all of the literature I found on researching high temperature drilling came from this field called geothermal. And this was about a decade ago. And to be honest, I'd never heard of geothermal before at that point in time. Huh. And, uh, and I read more about it and it was like, oh, you drill wells, but you just produce steam and you make carbon free electricity from it. And, and I, that's where I became incredibly excited about the opportunity. I was like, wait, I can do what I already know how to do. Um, but for a carbon-free and sustainable energy resource. And, and that, to me, just seemed too good of an opportunity to pass up. Yeah, I mean, one of the most interesting things to me about what you're trying to do at a certain level is you're trying to take this innovation that came out of the fossil fuel industry, probably the most important innovation of the 21st century in the fossil fuel industry, right, and use it uh, to get energy without fossil fuels, to move us away from fossil fuels. Is there something really elegant about that. There is. And and that was something that always appealed to me in the job of, of oil and gas. I mean, honestly, if it wasn't for climate change and sustainability challenges, I would have never left that career because it, it's a very exciting thing. You're working with really bright people and solving major technical challenges. And, and one of the things that was exciting for me is a, a decade ago, the advent of things like horizontal drilling was still so new that the innovations were coming out fast and furious. You know, when you work in the field, I was working a two week on, two week off rotation. You know, you, you go live on the rig for you two weeks. You go out, you live on an oil rig, yeah. Yep. And then you have two weeks off. And the number of times I came back from my two weeks off and there was a new piece of equipment out there or a new function or a new software program that had been developed in our time off uh, was just shocking. It was just huh. so invigorating to work in a place where the technology advancement was happening so rapidly. And so that's one of the things that clicked for me whenever I looked at geothermal is, is geothermal is an industry that historically has been much smaller than oil and gas. And they just don't drill as much, many wells as oil and gas. And, and for a variety of reasons, right when the shale boom and fracking was taking off for oil and gas in America uh, 15 years ago, it became a really tough market for geothermal. So right when the drilling technology breakthroughs were coming fast and furious, no one was actually drilling geothermal wells anymore because of economic challenges. And so I think as a result, there wasn't this technology transfer, this natural dissemination of information from oil and gas drilling to geothermal drilling. And I started looking at things like the cost assumptions that went into what people thought it would cost to drill a geothermal well. And I realized that they were somewhat frozen in time 
from before uh, the advent of the shale boom. And as a result, it was using performance targets that were a decade too old. And with as fast as the innovation was happening in our sector, a decade too old, then it was, you know, 10 times too conservative. Uh-huh. It would be like if you were trying to build something with AI right now and we're sort of using assumptions about AI five years ago or something. Exactly. To give you an example of that, you know, when you think about the year Tesla was founded in 2003, nobody, not the big automotive companies, not the Department of Energy, no one assumed that electric vehicles were going to actually be a meaningful part of the energy mix. And the big reason was that they thought the battery storage was going to be too expensive. And you know what? If we had to start an industry from scratch where the only use case for batteries was electric vehicles, it would have never come down the cost curve. But what happened in the 90s? We came out with cell phones and laptops, and all of a sudden, lithium-ion batteries got incredibly cheap and incredibly high quality because there was a huge manufacturing production system that grew up around providing a nice battery for your laptop and phone. And so the innovation Tesla had was, okay, everybody was using decade-old assumptions on battery technology, but there's been a boom in battery technology driven by consumer electronics. What if we just tape them all together and put them in a car? (laughs) And so it's amazing how often you see innovations where um, you know, if geothermal had to completely reinvent the way that wells were drilled to be successful, it'd be really tough to do. But whenever we can look at an industry like oil and gas that drills 100 times as many wells as the geothermal industry does, and then cherry pick the innovations from that to advance our cost curve forward, it can be um, have dramatic results. So let's talk a little bit about geothermal energy. Um, I mean... What it is is kind of right there in the name, but let's start there anyways. What's geothermal energy? Yeah, the name, you know, basically means earth and hot. And that's sort of the basic premise of what we're going for. Uh, You know, the world is very big and the world is very hot. And the deeper you go, the hotter it gets. And so, you know, the energy content in the heat of the earth is so large that it's essentially inexhaustible. And so geothermal really has been around for millennia. You know, you can go and visit these, you know, Roman baths all over Europe or, or elsewhere that were built on thermal hot springs. And if you think about it, that's geothermal energy at work. You're swimming in a nice heated pool because <laughs> the hot water is, is flowing up from the heat of the earth. And then around 100 years ago in, in Italy, actually, in Tuscany, the very first geothermal power project worked where some, some a brilliant team came up with the idea that, you know, if there's steam coming out of the ground because it's really hot here, what if we use that to power a turbine and make electricity? So the first ever electricity from geothermal came from tapping into some of these natural steam vents over 100 years ago. And, and that's sort of the idea of geothermal. As it's advanced, you know, we, you know, the number of spots where steam literally comes out of the ground on its own is a little bit limited. So uh-huh. people began using the, the idea of drilling. And so starting back in New Zealand and then Northern California in like the 1950s and 60s, people started drilling wells in areas where they knew the geology was hotter, which are places that are basically so hot that steam is practically, you know, bursting to come out of the ground. And then you drill into those areas. And that was really what the industry took off on and, and um, you know, began 60 years ago with that kind of geothermal development. And it's progressed now to be in uh, 25 countries all over the world. Um, there's 25 countries more that have geothermal projects in development. Um, as a total percentage of the energy, energy mix, it's less than 1% of the world energy mix. So it's still not huge, right. but it's really meaningful in certain markets. Like there just aren't that many places 
where everything lines up so that with this sort of 20th century technology, you can get energy from the heat of the earth in an efficient and useful way, right? It's, it's quite limited in the end. Exactly, exactly. Um, what we found with geothermal is that as we tapped those really low-hanging fruit resources, the stuff that was shallow and hot and highly productive, as we tapped that and we tried to move to deeper resources that maybe wouldn't flow as much or not be as hot, the technology wasn't there to be able to still produce that power and to do so economically. Because drilling yeah. is costs are very dependent by how deep you have to go. And as we started tapping the shallow geothermal resources and having to move on to the deep ones, the technology couldn't keep up. And those deeper resources became uneconomic. So the industry, at least in the United States, kind of stalled out in the 90s once these natural hotspots had been tapped and, and um, really, really had been in a bit of a period of stagnation ever since then. And I understand that by the time you wanted to start a company, you know, to make geothermal energy, harvest geothermal energy, it was sort of out of fashion, right? People it was, had kind of given up. It was very much out of fashion. And so early on, I was looking for funding. And I remember going to an investor conference, um, an energy investor conference. And I walked up to somebody that I knew was a big investor in the space. Um, and I introduced myself to him. And this would have been about 2017. And I said, hey, I'm Tim. I'm working on Fervo Energy. It's a startup I co-founded that does geothermal energy. And he holds his hand up and says, uh, I'm going to stop you right there and save us both some time. I'm not interested in geothermal energy. Thanks for the conversation. And walked away. <laughs> and that was a lot of the sentiment around what, you know, what, what was the future for geothermal is, is that was sort of the reaction that we got at energy conferences. It was a bit of a, a, bit of a punchline. Because people had tried it and it seemed like it didn't work. Exactly. So how do you how do you how do you get going in that environment? How do you get from the guy putting his hand in your face to actually building a company? I realized that there was such a gap between how quickly the technology for drilling had advanced in oil and gas and what the geothermal industry was used to that people just didn't know what the performance was really like. And I remember having some very bizarre conversations where people would tell me things like, you can't drill horizontally. Uh-huh. And I'm like, I, I just got off a rig, you know, a few weeks ago <laughs> where that's what I was doing. And we were doing it for the thousandth time. Like, it, it, and it was just amazing, the gap and understanding of technology there. And so I, I knew we were onto something. Do you think part of that is like the culture gap? I mean, that the even if the technical skills are kind of overlapping, the culture gap between people who are fracking on an oil rig in West Texas or whatever, and the people who are trying a geothermal startup in Northern California, they're just not talking yeah. to each other because why would they? No, I think that's, I think that, I think there's a lot of that. You know, one, one, yeah. one piece of advice I got from a mentor early on who, who'd invested in a bunch of different sectors is that if you want to be the leader in a sector, you need to be at the geographic center of where that sector works. You know, if you're uh-huh. starting an AI company, you're probably going to be really well served to be in the Bay Area. If you're yeah. starting a medical device or pharmaceutical company, you're going to be well served to be in Boston. If you're starting a drilling company, uh, you should probably be in Houston. <laughs> and one of the things that I found is when we started Fervo, um, there were zero geothermal companies in Houston. They were all in places uh-huh. all over the world, but in and in America, they were not. None of them were close to Houston. And Houston is like the intellectual center of this 
shale fracking drilling revolution, right? There's this incredible innovation coming out of there. It is like the Bay Area for AI or something. Exactly right. All all the big companies, all the big suppliers, some of the the best research institutions, whether you're talking about in Houston, like the University of Houston or Rice, or in the area like the University of Texas or Texas A&M, all kind of center around this intellectual hub of subsurface that is in, in Houston. And there was no geothermal here and no geothermal presence here. And I think it is, yeah, you could say it's cultural, but it's also just geographical. Uh There weren't the same number of water cooler conversations or people bumping to each other in the hallway in these other areas where that knowledge share can happen. And so that was actually something being somebody from Houston. And and I actually, part of my journey, we did move out to the Bay Area to start the company. And and that's where we founded the company, but always with the lens of, of making Houston the headquarters because we wanted to be in the center of that intellectual hub. Well, why start the company in the Bay Area then? <laughs> Briefly. Uh, let's get to an interesting question. Speaking about geography, I mean, the Bay Area is where startups happen, you know, yeah. and, and, it, and it sort of is interesting even to this day. And Houston has an actually incredible and vibrant and growing innovation ecosystem. You, you need like the hybrid DNA. You need the startup DNA yeah. of the Bay Area and the fracking DNA of Houston, basically. You do. That's that's part of the magic. And, and the amount of capital available for people with wild ideas that can change the world uh-huh. is still so concentrated in the Bay Area. That's the answer. It's <laughs> like when they asked the guy, why do you rob banks? And he said, that's where the money is. That's why the Bay Area. <laughs> that is exactly right. And that said, right now, where are you talking to me from? I'm in Houston, Texas not right now. Okay. In 2020, in our third year of existence as a company, um, we still have an office in the Bay Area and a lot of great people that work there, but we made the decision that now it's time to scale up. Now it's time to start drilling these wells. Now is the time where it's most important that we're located um, here in Houston. And so I relocated back here and, and our corporate headquarters are here in Houston. In a minute, Tim and his company build a real geothermal power plant. You probably think it's too soon to join AARP, right? Well, let's take a minute to talk about it. Where do you see yourself in 15 years? More specifically, your career, your health, your social life. What are you doing now to help you get there? There are tons of ways for you to start preparing today for your future with AARP. That dream job you've dreamt about? Sign up for AARP reskilling courses to help make it a reality. How about that active lifestyle you've only spoken about from the couch? AARP has health tips and wellness tools to keep you moving for years to come. But none of these experiences are without making friends along the way. Connect with your community through AARP volunteer events. So it's safe to say it's never too soon to join AARP. They're here to help your money, health, and happiness live as long as you do. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org slash wisefriend. Okay, 10 seconds. How many things can you name that are always growing? The universe, easy one. Um, my kids, so far. Uh, to-do lists. Uh, for this month, my sugar snap peas. I know that's not always. I know I'm out of time, but I'm going to give you one more. Businesses on Shopify. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms, and sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, 
your AI-powered all-star. There are key moments in every endeavor. I ask pretty much everybody I interview on this show about their key moments, their breakthroughs, their failures, their turnarounds, and Shopify can be there for you at all of your key moments. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash problem. Go to shopify.com slash problem now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash problem. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G-connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is accelerating innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at tmobile.com slash now. So where are you now? I mean, you have this thesis several years ago, which is basically if we bring the technology from the shale boom, if we bring fracking technology to bear on geothermal, we can make it work. Where are you now? Yeah, we're making it work. That's where we are now. (laughs) So in 2022, we drilled three wells at a site in northern Nevada as part of a development agreement with Google. Google played a major catalytic role in this. Google was one of the first people to bring up an awareness of something that um, is a recognition in the market that's benefited Fervo a lot, which is that solar and wind are going to be the workhorses of a decarbonized electric grid, but cannot do the job all on their own. And we need a complementary resource like geothermal that can work 24-7 to complement wind and solar so we can get all the way to the decarbonized electric grid. And I think the exciting thing for us as a company is uh, we began that project in 2022. We, we published results from a very successful test phase of that project just a um, uh, just over the summer. And, and after the results of that test phase, we moved forward with commissioning that project. And that project is now producing electricity. We've now just finished and brought onto the electric grid our very first ever electricity producing project using advanced geothermal technology. Great. So you have this project in Nevada that just... Uh turned on, just started producing real electricity for real people uh, in the last few months, right? Yes. How does it work? Like, just tell me what's going on there. How's it work? Yeah. So the way our kind of geothermal works, and again, I told you earlier that um, we had the tech 50 years ago to do these perfect, shallow, hot, productive resources, but it's always been a struggle to make the other deeper, less productive resources work. Most of the world, the vast majority of the Most of the world, every place that's not Iceland, basically. Yeah. Uh, And so what we do differently is we drill our wells deeper, for one. Okay. And then when we drill these wells deeper, not only do we drill them down vertically, but we then drill them horizontally as well. So to give you some uh, depths to think about, the project that we did in Nevada, we drilled that well 8,000 feet straight down and then 4,000 feet horizontally. Wow. So like a mile and a half down and yes. almost a mile over. So like an an L. I should be thinking of a capital L. Yes, a giant capital L. And then we put a second giant capital L right next to it in parallel. So a few okay. hundred feet away is another well that's as deep in parallel. Two Two L's running parallel, giant. Under the Two ground. big pipes in the ground, exactly. 
How big? Uh, the pipes themselves are seven inches across. Not not big. Long but narrow. Long but narrow. They're, think about them yeah. like really big pipes that we've stuck into the ground. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, and and it's just rock all the way through there. You're just de- going down and over in the rock. It's rock all the way through there, and importantly for us, it's hot rock. <laughs> okay. Yes. Hot. Right. That's it the key. Is both geo and thermal. <laughs> then what happens? Okay, so let me tell you how this works now. We have the pipes in place, and the pipes go through the rock. And then what we end up doing to create the geothermal electricity, you know, because those rocks are hot, but the heat just won't move on its own. What we do is we actually pump cold water down the injection well. And then that injection well has about 100 different ports in it that that water can flow out, and it flows across the rock over to the production well. There are like holes in the side of the pipe, basically? Yep. Yeah. And the water goes out of the pipe. Now, in my mind, it's just rock down there. Yeah. So, like, what happens? What, like, what, what's going on there? Yeah, water can always flow through rock. I mean, this is the same way that oil is produced or water wells work. Water can always flow through rock. In our cases, we've, we have actually created these fractures that go from one well to the other. So, think about uh-huh. these giant cracks in the rock that now that okay. water flows through. So, it connects the injection well to the production well and, uh-huh. and its own isolated system. So it goes out the ports, flows through the rock, uh-huh. hundreds of feet. And in that hundreds of feet, it heats up. Okay. And the wells we're doing are around 400 degrees Fahrenheit. So okay. by the time that cold water reaches the other well, it's already heated up to about 400 degrees Fahrenheit. Even though it's 400 degrees Fahrenheit, we actually produce it still in a water, in a liquid phase. Wow. So it's highly pressurized water that can be 400 degrees and not yet steam. Exactly. And so then it gets to the surface. It's hot water. And then what we do is we actually can pump that water over to the electric, the the power plant that we have at this Uh site. Uh And then we take the water and we run it through a heat exchanger. So that heat then goes into the power cycle. And then we collect the cold water after it's given up all of its heat again and pump it right back down the injection well. So all Uh we're doing is circulating the same water over and over and over again in this system, it goes, goes down cold, heats up in the rock, comes up hot. We, we then gather that heat at the surface to create electricity, and then we pump the cold water back again. And we do that for decades and decades and decades. And the key here is we're getting this heat, not by burning something, not by burning natural gas or coal, but by the natural heat of the earth itself. And so it's a zero emission technology. Great. And you have a sort of small version working now, right? It's on the order of around two to three megawatts of, of production. And so it's not big when it comes to power infrastructure, but that's still enough electricity to power several thousand homes worth of electricity generation. Okay. But it really is just the beginning of what we are, are planning to do um, as we scale this technology. So if that's the beginning, what's the middle? Uh, this summer, actually, after we had these really successful results from our first ever pilot, uh, we moved forward to a site in Southwest Utah, and we broke the ground on our next project, which is going to be roughly a hundred times bigger than our first project. So, how do you increase the power output by a hundred x? What do you got to do to do that? We drill more wells. Well, one thing: uh-huh. the wells that we're going to drill now are going to be bigger, for one, and so okay. we're going to get actually more power output for every well that we drill, and then we're going to drill more of them. And and I tell you one thing that's exciting about this in terms of, uh, again, a sustainability standpoint, one of the really attractive things about geothermal power 
is the actual land you need to do it is very minimal compared to almost any other type of energy resource. It's a low footprint on the ground, but a big footprint under the ground. Exactly. So, so it's a very, you know, you can be at a very small pad that's only a few acres, but then underneath you are, are, can be dozens of wells that extend, you know, across miles and miles. What are you worried about in that next project? What are we worried about? You know, it's, it's interesting. Um, I'd say the first thing is policy support. You know, geothermal, uh, as you noted when you were asking me how it works earlier, no, nobody knows about it. Nobody knows how it works. Before I read some random paper 10 years ago, I didn't know about it. And as a result, it's sort of this forgotten renewable. And we end up in a situation where again and again, it gets left out of the same incentive schemes and government grants and supportive policy that almost any other energy resource um, you have. We're stuck trying to compete with technologies that get significantly more government funding and policy support. Now, tell me about price. Like this project you're working on in Utah, like what's it going to cost to get electricity uh, out of that project? And how does that compare to other sources of electricity? Yeah. So we'll end up investing um, well over a billion dollars in this project in Southwest Utah, but it's a very sizable project. It's 400 megawatts. Um, from a price standpoint, it's, it's really interesting to, to think about the electric grid because everyone always thinks about the electric grid as, oh, electricity, it's a commodity. Well, it, it sort of is and it isn't. The thing about electricity is that when people want electricity, they want it now, right? Yeah. And so the reliability is incredibly important for electricity. So it's one thing to produce electricity. It's an entirely different thing to produce electricity when it's needed. And so right. whenever you look at how utilities construct portfolios, they find that, you know, you, of course you want solar and of course you want wind and of course you want batteries because those are very low cost resources, but you also need stuff that works when those resources don't. Right. And historically in this country, that has been coal or natural gas, increasingly less coal and more natural gas. But if you want to do it both keep the lights on and do it in a sustainable and carbon-free way, we need to find a substitute for that natural gas part of the portfolio as well. And so all this to say, whenever you look at a portfolio approach, geothermal offers things that other energy resources don't. It's always there when you need it. And it doesn't produce carbon emissions. Yeah. So I feel like you're telling me it's it's more expensive, but you can use it when it's dark out and the wind isn't blowing. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. I would say that's right. And what you find is that a little bit of what we sell, you know, if you are, are, are trying to figure out for your business or for your city or for your utility, you know, what's the least cost way to provide electricity, it turns out buying 20% of your electricity from us, even at a premium price, ends up allowing you to have a much lower overall cost because it provides these really high valuable attributes to the grid. And you don't have to have like a gas peaker plant that you build and only use uh, a few hours a year or whatever. Exactly. Exactly. What else are you worried about? You're about to build a billion dollar plant. Surely your worries cannot solely be outward facing. So we always joke about the fact that we've really smashed two types of companies together. We're, we're, we, and so we hire a lot of people from renewable energy developers, then we hire a lot of people from oil and gas. 
and we we smash us together in, in one big company to execute these goals. It's like the hippies and the roughnecks, basically. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, that's what that's. Yeah, you could you could say that. Maybe that'll be our next like holiday party theme or something <laughs> like that. I like it. I like it. The hippies and the roughnecks and we try to make it work. But the reason I say this is, yeah, we're about to we're in the process of doing a billion dollar plus project. But the nice thing is that everybody that we've hired to work on our team has done projects of that size and scale before. <laughs> When are you going to turn on this big plant in Utah? 2026 is the first time we'll be making electricity from this facility. So it's going to come online in a few phases. That full 400 megawatts will be done by 2028. Okay. But we'll be producing our first electricity there really in just a couple of years. Um, looking at the date now, I guess it's almost 2024 already, which I find hard to believe. So just around the corner, 2026, yeah. we'll be making first electricity from our facility in Utah. We'll be back in a minute with the lightning round. You probably think it's too soon to join AARP, right? Well, let's take a minute to talk about it. Where do you see yourself in 15 years? More specifically, your career, your health, your social life. What are you doing now to help you get there? There are tons of ways for you to start preparing today for your future with AARP. That dream job you've dreamt about? Sign up for AARP reskilling courses to help make it a reality. How about that active lifestyle you've only spoken about from the couch? AARP has health tips and wellness tools to keep you moving for years to come. But none of these experiences are without making friends along the way. Connect with your community through AARP volunteer events. So it's safe to say it's never too soon to join AARP. They're here to help your money, health, and happiness live as long as you do. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org wisefriend. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G-connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is accelerating innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at tmobile.com slash now. If you're listening to this podcast right now and you're a small business owner, listen up. Upswell Marketing would like to remind you that when customers choose your small business, they're actually choosing you. So focus on super serving your existing customers and let Upswell handle the pipeline generation of new leads and customers. They do everything from hyper-targeting best fit prospects through campaign optimization. Upswell Marketing's unique approach includes direct mail, search engine marketing, and social media ads, and has fueled more than 10,000 small business success stories. Upswell specializes in developing customized direct response campaigns and is now offering a no-obligation free assessment of your current marketing strategies. Not to mention, new customers also receive 15% off their first order when they mention that they heard about Upswell on this podcast. For more information, visit upswellmarketing.com. That's upswellmarketing.com. Uh, I want to finish with a lightning round. Okay. <laughs> What's the best thing about working on an oil rig? Uh, there's no substitute to actually 
physically seeing your your progress when you work. You know, I grew up in the countryside and and we would farm and I worked on a rig and we do things and I can tell you it's a little funny sometimes to do work and just have like a PowerPoint presentation or an email at the end of the day to show it. And you know, there's things going on out there, but you can't see it. To be able to start your shift and say, you know, when I started, we were 7,000 feet deep. And when I got off shift, we were 8,000 feet deep. And I can see the difference that we've made is something that like, you know, that's that's a really nice, tangible thing about the work that that I always appreciated. What's the worst thing about working on an oil rig? It's hard to be away from home. You know, you, you spend uh, weeks out there sometimes without without coming home and you end up building a great community of people that you work with, your coworkers. But, um, you know, there's no substitute for seeing your friends and family and sleeping in your, whole, in your own bed. Um, when I typed Fervo into my phone, I was just like making some notes when I was preparing for this interview. It auto-corrected it to Gerbo. You have any idea what's going on with that? What is Gerbo? <laughs> I don't know about Gerbo. I can tell you Fervo, we picked the name because it, it's, a, it's a word that means energetic and boiling, which is kind of what, what's our, what, what our business is. In what language? All of them, really. Any romance language. So it's like fervent? Does the word fervent come from the same? Exactly. Language? Fervent. We're in the business of making steam, so our name is steam. If you were not working on geothermal energy, what would you be working on? Oh, good question. Um... I am obsessive about urban design and transportation. I think you, you start working in energy, then you start working in climate, and it becomes a foray to thinking, wow, what we could design our cities so much better uh, in a way that would be more sustainable and fun. And, and uh, you know, even though I live in Houston, Texas, which is famous for our driving, um, I bike to work every day. I live right by our light rail line, and, and I'm just obsessed with... Uh, ways we can design our cities better. And if I, if I wasn't doing Fervo, I'd probably be doing that. Okay, last one. What's one thing you understand about geology, about the earth, that most people don't? Oh, uh, can I half answer your question? Oh, yeah. Anything you want. So here's a question. Here's a thing about geology, not on the earth, that I've become obsessed with. Um, fascinating project that NASA ran a couple of years ago where they actually drilled into Mars and installed a seismometer in Mars. And as a result, we know way more about Mars geology than we did a couple of years ago. And they detected regular and frequent Mars quakes there, which were totally huh. unexpected. And huh. so just in the last couple of years, we've completely rethought our understanding of Mars geology. And it seems to be much more geologically active than we thought even two or three years ago. And uh, I don't know, maybe to make a bit of a business proposition for it, geologically active means that it probably has a higher thermal gradient than we've anticipated. So my team uh -huh. always has to remind me to focus on Earth first, but it's a funny thing to think about. Uh, you know, if we ever make it to Mars, geo geothermal might be the way to be the way to make our make our power work out there. I love it. I love the 50-year vision. Uh, well, it was great to talk with you. Thank you for your time. Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate the invitation. Tim Latimer is the co-founder and CEO of Fervo Energy. Today's show was produced by Joey Fishground and Edith Russolo. It was edited by Karen Chikurji and engineered by Sarah Bruguer. You can email us at problem at pushkin.fm. 
I'm Jacob Goldstein, and we'll be back next week with another episode of What's Your Problem? Upswell Marketing would like to remind you that when customers choose your small business, they're really choosing you. So focus on super serving your existing customers and let Upswell handle the pipeline generation of new leads and customers. Upswell specializes in developing customized direct response campaigns and is now offering a no obligation free assessment of your current marketing strategies. Not to mention new customers also receive 15% off their first order when they mention that they heard about Upswell on this podcast. For more information, visit upswellmarketing.com. That's upswellmarketing.com. The tradition of breaking tradition continues with the return of the unconventional awards from T-Mobile for Business at Mobile World Congress. This is an event that celebrates innovators whose bold actions took their industries to new places. If that sounds like you and you're a T-Mobile for Business customer, enter today. If you win, you'll be publicly honored amongst some of the most influential leaders in industry and me. I'll be there too. Enter now at tmobile.com slash unconventional awards. See you there. If you're looking for a new podcast but don't know where to start, here's one you can add to your list. The Jordan Harbinger Show. The Jordan Harbinger Show is aimed at making you a better informed critical thinker so you can get a sense of how the world actually works and come to your own conclusions about what's happening. Jordan talks to everyone from neuroscientists to CEOs to astronauts, authors, and performers. You might enjoy Jordan's interview with historian Yuval Noah Harari, the author of Sapiens, A Brief History of Humankind, or his episode with Fool Me Once author Kelly Richmond Pope on how fraud became a trillion-dollar industry. Whether Jordan's conducting an interview or giving advice to a listener, you'll find something useful that you can apply to your own life in every episode of The Jordan Harbinger Show. That could mean learning how to ask for advice the right way, or it could just be discovering a slight mindset tweak that changes how you see the world. Search for The Jordan Harbinger Show, that's H-A-R-B-I-N-G-E-R, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you listen to podcasts.